Today's scripture from the English Standard Version Bible is the book of Isaiah, chapter 9, verses 2 through 7, found on page 729 of your Pew Bible. Again, Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7, page 729 in the Pew Bible. But first, please pray with me. Dear Lord, We live in a world of miracle, thanks to your blessings. Help us to see and understand what you would have us know as your truth. Help us listen for the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our daily lives that bring us close to you. And all God's people said, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder The rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Thank you. It's always a privilege for me to be back here at First Pres Amarillo, and I'm grateful to Howard for the invitation to be here again with you. I must admit there is a a disconcerting aspect to this because it was almost exactly one year ago that I was here with you last, and when when I think about it, it feels like, well, maybe that was a month or at most two months ago, but obviously it's a lot longer than that, and... Maybe you guys have experienced this as well, but you know, as I get older, time just keeps going faster and faster, and I'm still not reconciled to that yet. Um, but I, I do think it's awesome that you all are focusing this year on the overarching story of the Bible, which, as we know, really is God's story. And I'm excited to continue that focus this morning as we celebrate World Communion Sunday. As we learn more and more about the overarching story of the Bible, we see that one of the central themes of of Scripture is God's plan to bless all the peoples of the earth. And that's exactly what God has been doing. One visible expression of this is the dramatic growth of the global church in Latin America and Africa and Asia. At the same time, even as we celebrate this incredible expansion of the global church, 
I pray that on this World Communion, World Communion Sunday, we won't forget that there are approximately 2 billion people in the world today that have little or no opportunity to hear about Jesus in a way they can understand. And right here in the United States, there are tens of millions of people who don't have an accurate understanding of who Jesus is or what it means to follow him. Before going any further, though, I do want to take this opportunity to express my gratitude for this church's continuing partnership and ministry. You guys joined our support team when my family and I had the privilege of serving in Central Asia, and then this church has continued to be an important supporting church for us as we moved in, returned from Central Asia, and moved into this new focus of ministry with the Antioch Partners. So ministries like us continue to be blessed by the generosity, and I praise God for your commitment to, to, to moving to 15% of the church's budget going to, to investment in God's work in the world. So again, thank you. As a way of setting the stage for our New Testament scripture for this morning, I want to tell a story. I went to university in Nashville, Tennessee, and one of my roommates, Billy, had a family farm that was about an hour outside of Nashville. Billy had told me a lot about the farm, and and it sounded amazing, especially the cave on the property. As Billy had explained, it was a massive cave, and one of the things he enjoyed the most was exploring it. I had never done any spelunking. Isn't that a great word, spelunking? You know, I don't get to use that word very much, so I'm going to try to get it in multiple times here. Spelunking. Um, So when Billy invited me to actually go to the farm, I was really excited. And when we arrived, we went directly to the cave. As we approached the entrance to the cave, I must admit it was a bit spooky. A small stream flowed out of the mouth of the cave, and you had to wade into that stream to enter the cave. As we went deeper and deeper into the cave along that stream, it just became darker and darker. I was so thankful for our headlamps. After we had hiked quite a ways into the cave and there was absolutely no light around, Billy said, hey, turn off your headlamp. And so I did, and he did the same thing. Let me tell you, I had never, ever experienced darkness like that. You know, I held my hand right up to my face, and I could not see it. Um, You know, one of the things that became so clear to me, if you were going to survive in that cave, you had to have light. But the reality is, there is a light that can change even our experience of life itself. And that's what we're going to be focusing on this morning. Before we read our New Testament scripture passage, would you please bow with me in prayer? Holy God, we we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through your word and living power. And so God, as we prepare to, to, to hear now your word speaking to us through the New Testament, I pray that you would open our minds, that you would open our hearts. Please, God, pour out your spirit afresh upon us so that we might not only hear, but obey. And God, to that end, I do pray that you would give to me the gift of preaching, that the words I speak now would not simply be my words, but they would be your word to us. Pray this in the powerful and precious name of Jesus. Amen. John 8, verses 12 through 20. 
Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you don't know where I came from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it's not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither my father nor me. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his time had not yet come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This imagery of Jesus as the light of the world is is simple, and yet at the same time it's, it's deeply profound. Simple as in we've all experienced before how light transforms darkness, just like my experience in that cave. Beyond this simplicity, though, there are profound truths here. Think about it. The fact that Jesus identified himself as the light of the world means that there is real darkness here on this earth. That's exactly what the prophet Isaiah prophesied in our Old Testament passage when he said, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Of course, there's also beauty and much joy here on this earth, but I believe with all my heart that we put ourselves at risk when we fail to recognize the darkness that's around us. Another profound truth here is that Jesus is the light. In other words, others might claim to be light, But Jesus alone is the true light. Furthermore, Jesus makes it clear that he is the light of the entire world. He's not just light for us or for those who look like us. He's the light of the world. He's the light for all the peoples of the earth. I could go on, but I think this illustrates at least just some of the profound truths that are at work here. Whenever we study scripture... Understanding the context is vitally important, and that's certainly the case here. Jesus' words in verses 12 through 20 are actually part of a a larger section that begins in chapter 7. This is all happening during one of the important feasts for our Jewish brothers and sisters called the Feast of Booths. And our Jewish friends still celebrate this feast today. And one of the important focuses is remembering the amazing provisions of God for his people as they spent those 40 years wandering in the wilderness. John tells us that Jesus was there in Jerusalem teaching in the temple during the feast. And in verse 37 of chapter 7, John specifically says that Jesus stood up to teach on the last and greatest day of the feast. In terms of our text here, verses 12 through 20, determining exactly when this interaction took place presents a bit of a challenge because as most of our Bibles note, and certainly the ESV does that as well, the earliest biblical manuscripts 
don't have the section immediately preceding our text, which begins in chapter 7, verse 33, and goes through chapter 8 of verse 11. Most scholars believe that story, the story about the woman who was caught in adultery, was added later. So really, our, our verse, picking up in verse 12, actually follows there in verse, at the end of chapter 7, verse 52, which means that Jesus, in our verses, was also standing there in the temple. And it was on that last and final day of the feast that Jesus boldly proclaimed, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. His words would have been especially powerful because at night during the feast, the tradition was to light the 16 bowls of oil that were spread there across that part of the the wall of the temple. And apparently that the light was spectacular. In fact, as those flames reflected off the light-colored walls of the temple, the light was visible for miles around in the city of Jerusalem. Remember, this was at a time before public lighting was, was, was even a reality. And so once it became dark, it was very dark. So this would have been an incredible sight. And it was against this backdrop that Jesus makes this bold claim. I am the light of the world. Context is also important here in helping us understand the interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees in verses 13 through 19. The Pharisees were challenging Jesus' authority. Someone watching and listening might, have, might well have concluded that the, the Pharisees were in fact putting Jesus on trial. But John's hearers would have heard and understood something very different. I don't want us to miss that. John's hearers would have understood that it was actually Jesus who was challenging the Pharisees. Not only challenging, but even rebuking them. In the second part of verse 19, Jesus said the Pharisees didn't even know him or his father. In other words, Jesus' father, the God the Pharisees claimed to know and worship, they didn't even know him. The Pharisees believed they were the ones walking in the light of God's revelation. But in reality, Jesus understood that they were walking in darkness. For me, this is a sobering challenge. Because just as the Pharisees got God wrong, so can I. For example, the Pharisees had completely lost sight of why God had chosen Israel. God had chosen Israel to be his instrument of blessing for the entire world. God hadn't blessed Israel primarily just so that they could enjoy God's blessing for themselves. He had blessed them so that they would be the channel, channel of his blessing for all the peoples of the earth. Let's explore some of this in more detail. Truly, Jesus is the light. And those who follow him have the light of life. The light of life is a relationship with God. I'm grateful God allowed me to to grow up in a Christ-centered home. My parents nurtured my faith in God, and they taught me how to worship by worshiping with me on Sunday mornings in church, just like you all are doing. They taught me the Bible. They modeled prayer for me. Even with all that, though, it was still a process for me coming to understand what it meant to have a personal relationship with God through Jesus. 
A crucial, a crucial point in my spiritual journey took place when I was in the seventh grade and I attended a special banquet put on by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. I still remember who the speaker was, Madeline Manning Mims. She was an amazing Olympic track athlete. As she shared her testimony, God touched my heart and he touched my mind. And I began to understand in a deeper way, in a way that I'd never really understood before, that God wanted to have a relationship with me, just as God wants to have a relationship with all of us. I also began to understand that the call to follow Jesus was much more than just going to church. It was an invitation to live life with Jesus. I'm quick to say, I'm still growing in my understanding of what all this means, but that night was an important turning point for me. As we already observed, Jesus makes it clear that he is the light of the world. When we think about God's story, when we reflect on the grand narrative of the Bible, one of the key themes is, in fact, God's love for the world. My experience is that we can easily lose sight of this, just as the Pharisees did. On this World Communion Sunday, Let's focus again on the truth that Jesus is the light of the world. One of my heroes of the Christian faith is a man named Dr. John Stott. And Dr. Stott once said, we must be global Christians with a global vision because our God is a global God. So I ask, do we have a global vision? Are we global Christians? I think of Jennifer. She's a recently retired businesswoman I've come to know in Houston. Most of all, she loves Jesus. And she's growing in her understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. Jennifer is passionate about life. Over these last few years, Jennifer has been really growing in her understanding of God's desire to bless all the peoples of the earth. She's also keenly aware of that fact that I stated earlier, that there are approximately 2 billion people in the world today that have little or no opportunity to hear about Jesus in a way they can understand. Though retired, Jennifer still loves the challenge and excitement of the business world. And she's come to understand that God wants to use those business skills that he's blessed her with to shine his light in some of the dark places around the earth. One of the things she's doing now is serving as the mentor and a a consultant for a business owner in Asia. This company operates in a place where there are few Christians and few churches. This company is an example of what's sometimes referred to as a business's mission company. In other words, it's a viable, sustainable, for-profit business. But it's a company that's committed to having a kingdom impact. Jennifer consults on a regular basis with with the management team of this company through Skype. And then at least once a year, she spends a week on site working with the management team. She understands that Jesus is the light of the world. And she's committed to doing what she can so that the light of Jesus' love and grace can shine brightly in this dark part of the world. Returning to our text, Jesus is the light of the world. And I think one of the greatest challenges for us is, are we aware of the way in which the light of Jesus is shining, especially in some of the really difficult contexts that we see? 
A specific example of that would be the Islamic world. When many of us think about the Islamic world today, if you're like me, the most immediate thoughts that come to mind are, are thoughts about the violence, the conflict, the extremism, the oppression, the brutality. But the reality is, the light of Jesus is shining today in the Muslim world in incredible ways. Yes, extremism is real. And some of those extremists are doing terrible things. But if we rely only on CNN or Fox News or any of the other major news sources, we risk completely missing the amazing ways God is at work today in the Islamic world. For example, take the country of Iran. When most of us think of Iran, I expect maybe one of the first thoughts that come to mind is the incredible hardline Islamic government that's in control there. We might also think about the oppression and the persecution of of Christians, which is all too real there. Basically, the government of Iran has tried to eradicate the church. But the truth is, since the fall of the Shah in 1979 and the rise of the Khomeini's, millions of people in Iran have become disillusioned with Islam. And that disillusionment has resulted in many searching for spiritual truth. And that search is leading literally hundreds of thousands of Iranians to become followers of Jesus. In fact, back in 1979, it's estimated that there were only about 500 Muslim background followers of Jesus in Iran. Whereas today, there are at least hundreds of thousands of Jesus followers in Iran. And some estimate as as, as many as a million the house church movement there has literally exploded. Even though open public churches are forbidden, and even though according to Iranian law, a Muslim man who leaves Islam to become a Christian could be put to death. The truth is, Jesus is the light of the world. And Jesus is at work in places like Iran in dramatic ways. Jesus is fulfilling his promise that whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you're interested in having a better understanding of some of the amazing ways that God is at work in the Islamic world, I encourage you to read an awesome book. It's called The Wind in the House of Islam by David Garrison. I promise you, I'm not getting any financial benefits by recommending this book, but it's a great book. You can get it on Amazon. The the subtitle is How God is Drawing Muslims Around the World to Faith in Jesus Christ. One of the things that would make me really happy is if the Amazon, um, you know, analysts all of a sudden noticed a, just a flurry of purchases of this book in Amarillo, Texas on this Sunday morning. So get a book. It's, it's a great read. Another place where we see the light of Jesus shining is in the global refugee crisis. We've all seen the gut-wrenching images. By God's grace, I've had the privilege of of getting to know some refugees from places like Syria and Iraq. And only after hearing their stories and learning something of the horror that many of these people have experienced, only then did I begin to understand why they were willing to put themselves and their families at risk to try to get to places like Europe or Australia in hopes of a better life. In spite of the trauma of many of these, that many of these refugees and asylum seekers have endured, many of these amazing people are now living in countries 
where for the first time in their lives they have the opportunity to hear about Jesus in a way they can understand. For the first time in their lives, they're having the opportunity to experience God's love through Christians. As a result, many are becoming followers of Jesus. A friend of mine works in Croatia, and one of the important focuses of his ministry is serving, the, as you've all are aware, the, the, the flow of, of refugees that have been coming through Eastern Europe. And they're seeing God doing amazing things in the lives of some of these refugees. Please don't misunderstand me. I recognize that there are security issues here that must be addressed. But my prayer is that we, as the church of Jesus Christ, will respond with compassion and love. There are multiple passages in the Old Testament where God commanded his people to welcome the stranger and the alien in their midst. For example, Deuteronomy 10, 19, or Leviticus 19, 34. Leviticus 19.34 says, The foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were once foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I pray that we will be willing to live out Jesus' command to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That we'll be willing to love our neighbor as ourselves. And that includes our Muslim neighbors and any Refugees or asylum seekers in our midst. Truly, Jesus is the light of the world. As Isaiah prophesied, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. We know that this prophecy has been fulfilled in Jesus. And as his followers... We've been called to let his light shine through us into the dark places of this world. I believe that starts with each one of us being willing to allow the light of Jesus to shine into the dark places of our own lives. None of us have it all together. We're all in need of Jesus' healing touch. We all have dark corners of our lives where the, where the light of Jesus is needed to set us free. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a a, a trauma from painful memories from the past. As we follow Jesus, as we're increasingly conformed to the image of Jesus, I believe God wants to set us free. And as we're willing to to step out, I believe that we'll experience God's, God's light in our own lives in new ways. And then we'll be able to make an important choice. We can choose to let the light of Jesus shine through us in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our places where we work. And like Jennifer, we can also choose to embrace God's love for the world, including those who have little or no opportunity to hear about Jesus. The question is, what will we choose? What will you choose? And what will I choose? Would you please bow with me in prayer? Lord God, we, we thank you that you have called us into your family. As followers of Jesus, you have called us into your light. God, we live even here in the United States with all the freedoms that we enjoy. We live in the midst of challenging contexts. Darkness is around us. 
So God, I pray that each one of us will choose to allow your light to shine through us. And God, we know that at each moment of each day, we have choices to make. God, may we choose for you to be glorified in and through us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.